welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy came home. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Jerry Springer. Oh, please. Oh, oh, please. Just. Just leave a couple of dollars at the door before you leave. I, I've got expenses, and I appreciate that. Yes. You know, Name Jerry, Jean. Yes, Jean. I've been thinking. No, I, you haven't. No, well, I mean, that right away lie. is a lie. I don't think we pay you the respect that is due you. <laughs> we do not. That is 100%. You, you don't either, <laughs> Megan. Not. I'm not the only one. It doesn't take a lot of time to pay me the respect I'm due. <laughs> no. You could Very probably true. do that in about 12 In 1970-something, wasn't it, you were mayor of Cincinnati? Yep. Yeah. And I see constantly that every former office holder, be it the president, governor, senator, yes. secretaries of state, yeah. and mayors are referred for the rest of their lives as mayor. Or oh. Mr. Mayor. And I think that <laughs> well, we, we call should you? call you yeah. the name that you're due, which is Mayor. They call me Screen Door around here. That's yeah. my nickname. <laughs> that's my backcountry nickname, my country is, nickname. Good. That's respectable. Yeah. And Megan is called Happy and Heels. That's my Some, Twitter handle. Well, Happy well, and Heels. Happy and so Heels. We either call Twitter her handle. Happy or sometimes we call her Heels. That's where but that I wasn't a good idea. You. <laughs> yeah. you don't know yeah. Twitter. Well, I've you know, been, and yeah, by the way, what's Twitter? Yeah. referring to you as mayor, which we're going to do from here forward. No, or the mayor. Not. I've I, been a fool longer than I've been mayor. Well, so <laughs> you should call me Mr. Fool. That would be. <laughs> and Your we, honor. In a minute, we're going to talk about Alaska. And I have been to Alaska a bunch of times. I go into the, I'm a backpack. So I go to Alaska. So one time I was in Alaska and I was in Wasilla and ah, Sarah Palin, Palin, who does our, that's Governor Sarah Palin, who does the, <laughs> she does our. Future vice presidential candidate. Yes. Future. <laughs> was that just, uh, I'm sorry to change your thought, but was that just the finest moment? And there yes. is nothing I have ever done on my show that is as stupid. <laughs> I heard that. As, as that. Can I get an amen? Yeah, I get it. Can I get an amen for that? Who wrote that speech? Don't know. Don't know. Go but, ahead. you know, so I was in Wasilla one time, and we were going to go back into the back country, and we had a few minutes. Wasilla's north of Anchorage by a little bit. So I went to a city council meeting there before she became governor and eventually a vice presidential candidate. She was mayor of Wasilla. And I went into him. I didn't know much about her. I'm in the back of the room, just killing some time. And some guy, Jerry and Megan, in this city council meeting was harassing the hell out of her. I mean, he was on her hard saying stuff. So he just kept bickering and bickering. And finally, Sarah Palin just threw up her hands and she said, stand up. She was going to sort of return fire. Yeah. So, guy, look at Megan looking at Jerry like, don't believe it. Is that what you're saying? Don't, don't. Yeah. What? Dude. Just can't. You, if somebody so just tells something that happened. So someone okay. stood up. To go stood up. And I'm Sarah sorry. Palin says, listen, you tell me one thing you've done that's positive for this city. And the guy said, well, hell, I voted for your opponent in the last election. <laughs> told you it was going to okay, be bad. Okay, I give, I give that a three. 
out of a what? Out of yeah. a five? Well, when I walked in here, there's a fella sitting. Oh I, maybe he's in the back. I don't know. Really? No, he was. He had his hands in his head. Really? I mean, his head in his hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. there's a difference. And he <laughs> said, no, I hope he's okay, because he said, call me a doctor. And I said, you okay? He says, yeah, I just graduated medical school. Oh, my God. We apologize. But although, I will say that's a new one. We've got to give him credit for you new material. Get, Doesn't Jenna, have to be good. His my, personal <laughs> assistant went on the internet Thanks, at his request Jenna. and got him a joke. My wife always calls no. me after sex. She really? always talks to me after sex. Really? Well, you have like an intimate moment, as you put it on yeah, the podcast? Yeah, she always talks to me. In fact, last night she called me from Cleveland. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I keep telling all of you, stop encouraging this. It yeah. will continue. <laughs> So Debbie Bogan shoots one of our fans who's sitting out there, and happy birthday to Debbie. So because you usually do these lame-ass jokes about hearing impaired people, which is not nice and not not actually not funny, and so (laughs) she got a postcard, and I wanted to give this to you, Jerry, where you could get some batteries for your hearing aid. So it's, there you go. <laughs> so from the hearing that aid company, true. happy birthday. Well, this was so. the this was the same hearing aid that this was the same hearing aid that guy was wearing. I really? He was telling me you. this is the finest <laughs> hearing aid money can buy. Really? I said, yeah. What kind is it? He said four o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> I swear. Thank you. They are so bad. <laughs> Thirteen. So if you go back to our, if you go back to our thirty-eight. I bet you're happy to be here. If you go back to our thirty-eight episodes, that joke you just told, you've told, I bet, not quite thirty-eight, but close to it. No, I, I didn't tell it during the seventh show. No, that's no. true. That was the serious show. That was that one. <laughs> okay, uh, actually, you know we. The name of this show uh, is, uh, when we started it, and still is, is Tales, Tunes, and Tomfoolery. And the idea of the show is that on most occasions we tell some stories, we joke around, uh, then I do a political rant in the middle, and then we have great music at the end. And the music is bluegrass and folk music, or what today is called roots music. And um, and we do it here in Ludlow, Kentucky, at the uh, Ludlow Folk School Music Parlor, Coffee Parlor, uh, Coffee Parlor, excuse me. <laughs> yep. And it's just uh, it's a great environment. And you know, for those of you who are listening, if you're ever in around Cincinnati, Ludlow, Kentucky, come by on a Tuesday night. Uh, I mean, just the environment is great. Just yeah. really good, solid people. And you know, we're happy to be here. And thanks for having us. However, tonight's uh, podcast, what we're going to do, and this was Gene's suggestion, because Gene, of the three of us, knows the most about this, um, we're going to do mostly a tale, but I should say it's a story, and it's an incredible story, and it is an absolutely true story, and the person who lived this story you're about to hear is with us tonight, and when I say she lived this story, the real prize is that she's still alive to tell it. And we're talking with Joanne Staples, and Joanne, thanks for being with us. And so that we do away with the mystery, uh, I'm going to say that now you're, well, I know what your age is, you're in your 60s. When this story happened, you were in your young 60s, and it's relevant to the story. Uh, So here you have this 60-something woman, and she's uh, backpacking, and she's backpacking with a, a group of women. And they are backpacking at the uh, Arctic National Park 
uh, near the Arctic Circle in Alaska. And uh, in a remote area of that called Gates, okay? Now, so and, far, and the park is called Gates of the Arctic National Park. Got it. Thank you. So that's the name of the park, and you're there with these women. The point of the story is that one evening while you were there, uh, you get attacked, mauled by a bear. And, you know, we all, at some time in your life, you thought about that, though you would never be near a bear. You would think, oh, my God, what would I do? Everyone has the horrible joke. If you're going to go around bears, make sure your friends are slower than you are. You know, just all the silly stuff. But this woman lived to tell this incredible story. And um, most of the details we got, Gene did the research. This happened seven, eight years ago or whatever. And he did it because these are published reports in the various newspapers. And so Gene followed up in it because, Gene, you have been to that park. So, Joanne, first of all, thank you for being with us. Um, and I'm going to ask some basic questions to get you started. And I am asking questions of a person that has never seen a live bear other than in a zoo. Okay? So I am the perfect layman on this issue. You know, for me, camping out is, you know, a holiday in without cable. So I don't know anything about this stuff. No exaggeration. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So you go camping with your friends, acquaintances. How many were in the group? Six ladies. Six ladies. I was the seventh. We were seven in Se the group. Seven ladies in the group. Uh, had you done this before with this group? No. Had you ever been to this park before? No. You had been camping. Had you ever, in your prior experiences, seen bears in your camping out? Just in southeastern Kentucky. In southeastern Kentucky? I grew Kentucky. up in southeastern Kentucky. Oh, I see. And you, once in a while you see some once bears occasionally there. Occasionally you see a bear. Okay. So now you're, how many nights were you, or days and nights were you in that park before the incident happened? Uh, eight. Okay. So you were eight? Eight days, and it happened in the morning about 6.30, the last day when I was packing for the flight to come in. I was on the first flight out. Oh, so you were ready to come home. This was Oh, a I was past ready to come home. Okay. <laughs> and Jerry, but before you go on, because you just referred yeah. to a flight, let's draw this picture it, it properly, uh, accurately. Okay. The way you go to where you camped, and the Okoklamiga River Basin is yes. only by bush flight. There are, this is a park, Jerry and Megan, the size of Switzerland. Yeah. The Gates of the Arctic National Park is vast. There are no trails in the Gates of the Arctic National Park. You get there by getting on a small bush plane. In your case, it was a de Havilland Beaver. I know because it flew on the same plane. How to many a people different place. can be on the plane? We had two flights from Wiseman because with gear, we had to have two flights in and uh, uh, from Wiseman. True. We were on a bus from uh, Fairbanks about yeah. seven hours. Uh, and then, and then we spent the night in Wiseman, but we flew out of Coalfoot on a single-engine plane. Single-engine plane. To uh, the campsite uh, with Dirk. He was the pilot that took us in. And you have to picture an uh, airplane that is a... Uh, relatively small bush plane that could handle half of the group on the first flight, half on the second one. You say waiting for the flight, that plane was going to land on the river bar near where you were camping. 
A sandbar. On yeah, a sandbar. So, it's, so I, I didn't want people to think, well, landing on an airstrip, there are no yep. airstrips. You're There's landing no on airstrip, sandbars. No. This is in a remote part of a remote park. So, so you now land. Is there any point at this point of the trip where you're saying, what the hell am I doing? Or well, this was exciting. If I can add something, yes. this wasn't on my bucket list. Yeah. Oh. It wasn't on my. It wasn't on my bucket list. We retired from the Foreign Service, U.S. Department of State, after moving back to our permanent home in southeastern Kentucky. I wanted to go to the beach, and we went to Lexington to Whole Food. And you know, this little free brochure they pass out. My husband picked that up, and on Sunday morning he was looking through that, and he said. Uh, Oh, here's a trip with a Zen master to Alaska. And that's what started all of this. But I had no interest in Alaska, not in cruising on a cruise ship. But So you really had no idea what you were getting into. No, I had been I had been on safari in uh, Africa. Yeah. I thought we were gonna have trackers, hunters, cooks, you know, like yeah. Hemingway or something. Yeah. You know, you know. Yeah. I, I didn't I didn't think about it. <laughs> we didn't even have a, a security guard. Were the other women on the trip of the same experience? In other words, or were there some real professionals? I mean people that do this every single year, they know what they're doing. I'm not sure, but I think three, maybe four of us were were up to the trip. Yeah, it was too demanding. This it was, it was too. It was just too much for three of us. One had a broken ankle that was healing. The other one was 68 years old. And there were three that were younger. One was a nurse. She was fantastic. Uh, I'm here because of a nurse. So three, maybe four of us did not belong on that trip. Have you ever been back to Whole Foods? <laughs> I go all the time. Yeah. Yeah, just there was a little yeah. advertisement I mean, in there. Yeah. <laughs> there was a little advertisement that said yeah. uh, a Zen master, you know, and she was a, yeah. a Zen master, and I had done a little Zen in Washington and in Alexandria, Virginia, and so Zen master. I thought, okay, meditation, yoga, photography. Okay. That's what I signed One up for. One more question before we get to the actual event that people want to hear about. Because you you told us before it was on the last morning you in fact you were getting ready to leave. Yes. So what were those uh, days before the seven eight day trip? What was it like before? It was absolutely exhausting, stress, anxiety. You I saw other other wild animals. No, we were there too late. The migration had already happened, so it was late. There was frost on my tent. Oh. It was very cold. What time this of was year August. was this? August but it's the Alaska, 28th, and yeah. it was very, very cold. Okay. So we, we did not see caribou. We saw four little caribou uh, meandering through yeah. the, the valley. But uh, Other than it was exhausting, was there ever a time you were afraid? Um, like, oh, my gosh. this. Is I was anxious about the lady that was in charge. She was very lax in the setting up oh. of the uh, campsite, very lax in... Uh, from everything I had read, and we did a lot of research. Yeah. I just didn't run out there and do this. Yeah. Uh, she was very lax about letting people wander off in the morning to find a secluded place for a bathroom, taking off early in the morning because one could not keep up with a group. And everything that I read is that you stay with at least two or three people 
and you have you never want to be alone bear, bear spray with you or pepper spray at all times. Okay, so that's what you had with you in terms of defense is your bear spray or pepper spray? She would not let me have it inside my tent. She bought four for seven people at Wiseman from the ranger. And I told her, I said, I'd like to buy my own bear spray. She said, no, four is enough for seven. So a couple days later, when we were in who, camp... Which way, though? Did you draw a lot? <laughs> yeah, who gets the bear spray? So, <laughs> so about two days later, she said, Joanne, I know you're upset because you do not have your own bear spray. She said, I'm going to give you one, but we're going to tie it to the tent stake. And because of the wind coming down this, this incredible yeah. gorge, I put a rock on top of it so it would not blow during the night, yeah. make a noise. And that's what I had. So when the attack happened, okay, now it's the I had Go nothing. Right the attack. I had the nothing. Morning. You're packing your bags. You're, so you're awake, obviously. Yes. You're in your tent, though. Yes. That first second or two, when you, which startled you, or you said, what's that? Take us through that moment. I was sitting on my sleeping bag, and it's an igloo-type tent. Yes. And I felt something rub up against my back. And I knew that it was a bear. I knew by the height, the feel, I just knew it was a bear because other animals had migrated through the campsite. But if you're quiet, they just, they just go away. Was there anyone else in the tent with you? No, we all had, had your separate, own tent. separate tents. Well, yeah, if someone's touching your back and you're the only person in the tent, it can't be good news. I, I thought, <laughs> I thought, what, this is a bear. So I thought, if I'm quiet, turned off my light, because it was still, we say it in Kentucky, dusty dark. Yeah. I've been corrected for that, but that's no, what I dusty say, dark. dusty dark. Got it. And uh, uh, I turned off my light, and uh, I, maybe I was making some noise because I was packing my day pack in my full pack. He hit the side of the tent right at the bottom of my feet. And I thought, uh, okay, he didn't break the canvas, which I was surprised. And I back up to the side of the tent. He hit a second time, and he came through. And I have all these injuries to my face. My ear's been reattached, sympathetic nervous system pain, and... Uh, just lots of skin grafts, my, both arms, because I was on my back, but I was kicking and hitting him. And screaming. And, and screaming. I'm sure I was screaming. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I was hitting say. him and kicking him. And uh, uh, he, as he came through, his mouth was open, and he grabbed my leg. And I have a lot of injuries on my thigh. That's where he got me first. Are you in shock at that moment? or I, These are very naive questions, but I can't imagine it. Okay? Mm -hmm. I can't imagine it. Are you in shock like you don't actually remember that? Or, you know, at what point do you say this can't really be happening? And you're screaming, help, and you reach for a can, you reach for anything you got. Well, right before he broke through, I, your mind will just go crazy looking, trying to think, is there anything I have to fight back with? And I realized there was nothing. So when he, when he came through, um, I knew from what I had read, it was fight or, or die. Yeah. So I don't think, I might have saved myself a few seconds, a little bit of time. He has never seen another human being in his life. Uh, it's quite possible because the area we were in, Dirk, the pilot, said that 
he gets a couple requests a year to go into this area. It's so remote. So I don't know why the lady set this up, why she even took us into this area. Did anyone come and help when they heard you scream? Uh, yes. I was screaming, and this lady that I was with, she thought that someone was having a bad dream. But then we were packed, we were camped by a sandbar, and there was very rapid water because oh. it washed my socks out of my hand. So there was a lot of noise from the I water, see. and I'm surprised that she heard me. Anybody have a gun? That was the most upsetting thing because when we got, when I talked to her from Kentucky after I sent my deposit in, I said, what is the security on this? And she said, I'm certified by, I won't mention the state. She said, I'm certified uh, with a sawed-off shotgun. And I said, is that all we have? So I tried to change my mind at that point, but my check had already cleared the bank. <laughs> and so I went on So she had a shotgun with she her? She had a shotgun. Did she come running to you? She, the shotgun collected dust by the cooking tent all week. She said there was a shotgun in there. I never saw the shotgun. There was no practice, nothing with the, uh, the satellite phone, nothing. Once we got to camp, I thought she w we will have a little bit of an orientation. There was, there was no orientation. So the shotgun was there. Now, Mr. Gavin is telling me that probably with her being a Zen Buddhist master, she would have never shot the bear. Yeah, and that, by the way, let, let me interject yeah. here. I'm not a guide. I've never been certified to be a guide, but I have backpacked 13 summers in Alaska. So I have personal things that I feel and would do, but I, but I cannot, I can't, it's not fair to judge what the guy did or didn't do because I've never, I don't even do that. I don't know how to do that. Yeah. I will say, and it would be speculative on my part because I've since talked to some Zen masters. I have some friends, one Jerry that we know commonly, Claire, I won't use her last sure. name. And I've been told that Zen it wouldn't necessarily be consistent with Zen that you don't protect yourself in that situation. So if, if I have said that, uh, that's me talking where I don't know what I'm talking about. Now this, I will say, and you and I have discussed this, please call me Gene, by the oh. way. Uh, I have never, and again, this is not a guide talking. This is just a recreational backpacker who's done it up there many times. And, and I can't wait to go back. I've never slept a night in the back country of Alaska without pepper spray in my tent, safety off next to my head. Today, by the way, I looked, Joanne, at the Montana uh, Fish and Wildlife website. And it, you were in Alaska, but this is an example. It said on that official website, keep your bear spray next to your flashlight in the tent. So for any, if anybody would tell me, now again, I'm not commenting on the guide because I can't judge that. I'm not going into Alaska backpacking without bear spray and, to be honest, a Ruger 454, which I own. So for two-thirds of those trips, I have a gun in the tent with the safety off. That doesn't have a safety, but I've had a shotgun with yes. deer slugs with the safety off in the tent. I'll take my chances on setting off the pepper spray 
if, if that's what I inadvertently do. But that's just what I would do. And nobody will change that on me because if I'm going into the backcountry, by the way, your story, and you're not done telling it, but just to the point that you are, that's every backpacker's worst nightmare, to be in a tent and have it unzipped by a grizzly bear. And then they're coming in the tent. Well, his head came through. I just saw his head when his head came through. I don't know if he used his, if he, if he ripped it open, but so his he, mouth and head came through. That's the first I saw. You're fighting him now. I'm kicking him and hitting him with my hands. What stopped him from killing you? In other I, words, did he, at some point he left? Well, I think uh, my screaming and two of the ladies, now we were dispersed and we, yeah. we were separated and the, the sound of the rushing water, yeah. but two of them heard me screaming. Yeah. And they came and they distracted the bear. By just, what? Making noises, banging cans. Uh, I mean, I, I, just, I just screaming. Yeah. I guess waving. The, I, I wasn't. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I, I wasn't able to watching. know exactly. Next what, time, what they, you know what? Next time, pay attention. <laughs> I don't know what they were doing, <laughs> but uh, um, they distracted him, and the cooking tent was on the ground. So the bear spray was in the tent. Meaning they, that the bear had taken down the cooking tent. So he tent. had been to the cooking tent okay. before he came to my tent. I think my tent was just the, on the exit out as he was leaving because I guess he didn't find any food. And I just, my tent probably happened to be in the wrong place. To throw in a, a point of, of how it works, the food is kept, and you told me that this is how it was done, is kept in these bear containers. So people listening who have never been into the backcountry of, let's say, Alaska, you yeah. can't tie the food in trees because you're usually above tree line. So the food goes into a can, and backpackers use these cans that are about the size that will fit in the bottom of a backpack, and they're sealed off with usually a screw device. So the bears might smell the food. They might not, but they can't get it. Mm-hmm. But the bear apparently took down the food tent because he was smelling odors. And, and I don't know where the food was relative to the food tent. And I don't think we had two separate locations. Could have been just over to the side. But when the ladies distracted him, they did just what everything tells you not to and what I had read. Do not run. And, and they ran. And they ran. Which must be a natural reaction. I think. Know. I think so. I don't. Yeah, I can't imagine someone saying, "Well, the book said." <laughs> <laughs> no. You, you yeah. Run. Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, at some point, because of the distraction, mm-hmm. the bear goes off. He goes after them, after oh, the two wow. ladies. Did he get them? No. They got to the cooking tent. They got the bear spray, and they used the bear spray, wow. and they. The bear spray, they told me later, on the ground. And I had never, I still to this day haven't seen bear spray used, but I understand it's a plume of orange smoke. It'll shoot about 35 feet in a V. It has orange food coloring in it, like tracer bullets, so you can see where it's going. Mm -hmm. It's an extract that is put on peppers to make them hot, and it's very, it's incapacitatingly annoying to a bear. And it's designed, I, again, I wasn't there, I'm, I'm not, uh, I, I keep repeatedly say I'm not a guide, but you squirt it right in the face. What I would do is give it right in the face of the bear for as long as that stuff's coming out. Mm-hmm. And partially because you want the bear to never want to come around humans again. And it, it's not lethal. They go off and get in a stream, wash their eyes, and life will go on. 
But yeah, I, I've not heard of it being shot at the ground. I've always heard it aim. In fact, you can read the directions on the side or go on the national park websites and they say, hold it arm's length, push the button with your thumb. But anyway. So it worked. They, it worked and he's, he's away from me. And he's away from you and ultimately away from them because of the spray. Well, the other ladies at a certain point they are up and aware that something is going on. They start beating pots and pans together, making noise, and he kind of knocks down a couple other tents, and he leaves the campsite, and he crosses a stream and goes to the other side, and he looks back, and they... Well, this part you don't see. I they don't see, you, but yeah. they just told me he's looking back, and he's making a decision, should I stay or should I go? And at some point, he left the campsite. Good decision. Okay. What were you feeling at this point in the the news reports that I read seven years ago said that the bear pulled you out of the tent. Then no. you said no. The tent no. was now collapsed on you. That's why I don't talk to newspapers too much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the the tent had collapsed on top of me, and it wasn't even the, the nurse told me it wasn't even in the place where it had been positioned. And she went to the cooking tent and she found a knife, but it would not cut through the canvas, the first knife. She went back and she got a larger knife and she finally got through to me and she said that I was moaning and groaning and so I don't know if, if I lost consciousness, I'm not sure. But she said I was awake and when she got into me, she said, I said a bear tried to eat me but I kicked it. <laughs> That was my first So the bear comment. ripped off your ear, crushed the side of your face. By the ripped way, open the side of my face. people listening to this can't see you, but I got to tell you, when you walked in here, I didn't yeah, know okay. you were, I mean, you look like a very nice, attractive woman, period. I mean, mm -hmm. there's no, you don't, you know, unless you look real closely and, but mm -hmm. you can't tell. Okay. But now you're lying there. You've survived it. Are they in touch with anyone? How do they get help? How, how were you rescued? Well, Tell us that story. Uh, they used the satellite phone and called Dirk yeah. and Coldfoot. And they called Dirk, and it was a very overcast, gray day. And Dirk said he could not get in. Until couldn't land the plane couldn't land. He, Well, he oh. couldn't even find where we were because he knew yeah. that uh, the general location in the sandbar. And at a certain point, the lady that was supposed to be in charge, I think the nurse more or less took over. And she said, Joanne can't stay out here another night. She'll go into shock. I was losing too much blood. Mm. She said, we have to, you have to call back. She called back. Okay. And the nurse, by the way, is a fellow customer, if you will, not a staff member. You called back because you couldn't well, lie there for another night. Well, Dirk has a wife and two small children. And he said they had a meeting. And about 10 o'clock after the second call, he said that his wife and children voted for him to fly in in those conditions to try to find us. And he flew in, and I was told that they could hear the plane, they could hear the but sound of the wait, engine, you can't see but it. he could not see where we were. So he went away, and then oh everyone was disappointed. And now I'm not really aware of all of this that's, yeah. that's happening. He came back a second time, and it's a really unbelievable story because it was like the, the sky parted and the sun came through, and he saw the sandbar. 
and he was able to he was able to land and they took the back seat out of the plane and, and they lifted you onto the plane they lift they used a sleeping bag as like a draw sheet yeah and they got me on the plane for the first part of the flight to uh Wiseman and then uh do you remember the, any of that yes i remember okay. i remember right. the flight because Dirk told me the um uh, the landing would be very painful because of the descent and all my injuries he told me the landing would be very painful but once I was in Wiseman, the the oil company had a very sophisticated helicopter with doctors, nurses, a full staff. So they took me to uh, Fairbanks. At this point, they're giving me a lot of medication. And I remember landing in Fairbanks. And the nurse was still with me because, and this is an important part of my story, the nurse, we she had been my my favorite in the group mm. during the week. And we talked about a lot of things, but I didn't realize that she was a critical care nurse. So I had a critical care nurse. Good. She stayed with me on two flights, and she stayed with me until I went into surgery. And then I met this wonderful doctor that I remember vaguely, and his name was Dr. Winnen, and he is certainly a winner. Yeah. And Dr. Winnen the next day told me that he graduated from the University of Kentucky Medical School. <laughs> about th- it comes full circle, doesn't it? <laughs> about, th- about 30 years before, and I guess he needed to pay off some loans, and he had, he had signed a contract to go to Alaska. And oh he went gosh. to Alaska, and he never left. So I could have looked all over the lower 48 and I could have never found someone that frostbite, maulings, someone to put me back together. So I had the best doctor in place I could have ever had to put me back together. Well, God bless him. And looking at the results, obviously a great job. How did you deal, because I can't imagine, because we're talking about hours, hours of you in incredible pain. It's not like, ow, that hurt. I mean, this is like... God forbid being in a horrible car accident and no one comes to get you for for three, four hours. I mean, the pain, your ear was removed, face bashed, your arms, I mean, just everything. He was mauling you. Wouldn't the pain be just excruciating? Wouldn't you be screaming for four straight hours? Or were you in shock? I don't think so because I remember when this was happening, uh, the only thing that I remember is I said, God, is this the way it's meant to be? Because I didn't really think about surviving. Oh, uh, you really thought this was the I, end? I really thought it, wow. w- it was the end. So I didn't think about surviving. And the pain, uh, there was a lot of pain after I was cut out of the tent. But they were trying to keep me warm, give me sure. tea, cover me up, keep talking to me and singing. The ladies did a lot of singing to try to keep me awake. They knew that yeah. uh, that was the best thing to do to keep me awake. So I'm pretty, t- I'm pretty tough. Uh, I mean, I don't you. want to. Uh, <laughs> Seriously, and, you just talk as long as you want and stay as long as you want. Well, <laughs> hey, Joanne, let me, let me throw this in here. Uh, when we, I, uh, she's become a friend of mine, so I was over at her home. Uh, she lives in Pineville, Kentucky, but they also have a, place in the Cincinnati area. And I know from talking to Joanne, number one, she's jumped out of an airplane. 
number two, she lives right next to uh, Pine Mountain in Pineville, and she says, oh, it's nothing. You put together a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, grab a bottle of water, and hike up on the ridge. So she is a, she's a tough uh, woman from southeastern Kentucky. You jumped out of a plane on purpose? <laughs> because, <laughs> because this man in my life uh, was... Uh, Airborne Ranger, I and see. and so he went through the school yeah. with me, and yeah. and uh, but I realized when I stood in that window, I thought he could save me, but I realized I was on my own. <laughs> 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 you know, I realized he, he could not save me. Yeah. But an important thing here I'd like to mention is I had severe PTSD, and when they diagnosed the PTSD after. I've spent 10 years with a PhD clinical psychologist. And I said, stress disorder. I, yeah. I said, no, I've, I've been in two war zones. I carried a pistol in El Salvador. I've been in the Middle East. I said, I, I have not shot anyone. I've not killed anyone. Yeah, let's keep but, that going. But, <laughs> but, but we went through all the traumas in my life, and I realized I disagreed with it, but I realized that... It's a cumulative effect with a lot of uh, PTSD. It's not just one time I, like the sniper, you know, you put a rifle up and, and you shoot someone. It's a cumulative effect. So I finally agreed to the diagnosis. So Alaska was for my PTSD to go to a remote mm. place to have, wow. this, um, oh my God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> to have this experience of being away from everyone, away from everything, uh, photography. Oh hey, good, good thinking. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you know, really, really good thinking. Hey, by the way, when, when we were together, I guess about a week ago at your mm -hmm. place, she said, she showed me pictures of, the campsite, and, and I've been, I, I was in Gates of the Arctic, yeah. though, at a different part, and it's, it's beautiful. It's stunning, and, and she's agreed that the flight in, flying over that spectacular remote country is amazing. The flight from Coltfoot to uh, the Okoklamiga River Basin is probably a half-hour flight, 40 mm -hmm. minutes maybe. It's yes. not like 10 minutes and you're there. Yes. So then she says, Joanne says, I want to show you something else, and she leaves the room. I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I, I don't know what she's bringing back because I've seen these pictures of, the, of this beautiful countryside. And she comes in with a manila envelope. And I'm going to tell you something, Jerry and Megan. I thought, oh, my God. Oh, my God. She's getting these clinical photographs. And I said, if that's what I think that is, I can't look at those. And she says... And they were these photographs. And she says, Gene, I live through it. You can look at these. And so she pulls these photos out of a manila envelope. And I'm looking at, the, and I'm going, I'm like, you know, pretty close to gagging. And then she shows me the first one. And those were damage to your arms, teeth punctures, et cetera. And then I think in escalating order, they got more and more difficult to look at. And they were probably shot by the medical people at Fairbanks, yes, Fairbanks. before they worked on you. Yes. They are... A fantastic, the I, I the here's the point I want to make. Don't think, because I said the same thing. I can't see that you were ever attacked by a bear. Do not think that the damage that was done to her was anything short of unbelievable. Oh, I yeah. mean, and I told Megan this on the phone, and she says, "Dude, I want to see those photographs." I think it's so. I said no, to Joanne when she got here, "Do you have those photographs?" She says, "I got them." She has one, so we'll pass them around the audience here, and you all. <laughs> no, but I do. I think it's fascinating. It's not. Yeah, a I mean, it is, and frankly, well, doctors probably would be. I'm, 
willing and anxious to see them, but they're tough. I still have issues. I'll never be back to where I was before. I've accepted that. Uh, today, I was waiting for uh, approval for some more medical um, evaluations. After tests. seven years. After seven years. So I've been to the Mayo Clinic. I've been to John Hopkins. Tell us what, excuse me if I interrupt, but on that issue, tell us what you deal with now. In other words, we now know what happened, and we can imagine, because obviously the audience isn't going to, the people listening can't see the pictures. So we're imagining the worst. Now, today, Mm-hmm. What are you living with? You get up and are you living with pain? Are you living with tremors? Are you living with nightmares? Are you? I have a lot of bad dreams, horrible dreams, but I have never dreamt about the bear attack. For some reason, that fortunately I made it without. I think about it every day, and it goes through my mind some parts of it and relive. But it's it. not if you see pictures of the bear, and I don't. Uh, I'm not going to be silly here. But it's not like you see a movie and suddenly there are bears there. You don't go, oh, I can't look at oh, this. Oh, no, I can't look at it because we went to see Revenants. Uh, you went to see that? What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, <laughs> well, I told my I mean, husband. I can't see my parents saying, oh, God, this is great Holocaust movie. I like that. That's really well, I, my husband, <laughs> my husband likes movies, and I like movies, and I really like nature a lot. See, Sound of Music. <laughs> but that's not the same. Oh, they got the beautiful out. So, but I told my husband now, because he said there's going to be a scene in here that's going to be pretty bad. I said, well, tell me, and I'll turn my head and tell me when it's over. But the scenery in that movie, the survival, the incredible story and it's a real story it's actually happened to this this man and so I really enjoyed the movie and I just tried to separate myself from that because I didn't see that part of it okay you've told your story you're giving advice let's say you're a teacher or you have kids or grandkids or whatever and they say gosh I really like camping out I really like backpacking what do you Tell them, because Gene and I, you know, I have no closer friend in the world, and we, you know, he's always talking about his summer trips, you know, mm-hmm. to Alaska or some other place, Montana, whatever. He's been all over these places, and I, and I look at him, and I say, I mean, the pictures are beautiful, but why? Why put yourself, you know, go to the museum? Um, no, but, <laughs> but why, I... why put yourself in bear territory? That's their home. You, you know, you're the one who doesn't belong. Well, I right? realize yeah. that. But I spent uh, four assignments in Africa. I have lived in Zimbabwe. I have seen all the animals in the bush. I love nature. Yeah. And so that was an aspect of it, of going to a remote place in Alaska, nature. Uh, I thought, I thought... Well, we might see a grizzly bear from a distance on the ridge or something. I didn't think I would have this close encounter. So if you had one line to give to people is that if you're going to do that, and, and I'm being flippant, obviously millions yeah. of people, lo- I mean, it's, it is gorgeous. Okay, in fact, Jerry, in your, there's a great question you're asking. Can I join with you just on one thing uh, before sure. you get to the life lesson? Because I think that's key. 
and I think we, we discuss this. I think we agree on this. When you get into that backcountry, especially if you're flown in so you know I'm way back there because I got flown a long time to get there, and you're looking at all that ground between you. You're knowing all that's between you and where civilization is. You get dropped off, and I, I know I've been to some places, and Larry Gray's in the audience here, a friend of mine that's been to Alaska a bunch of times. You get out of these bush planes, and then the plane leaves, and you go, WTF, look around. This is unbelievable. And if you see a huge grizzly bear off in the distance or even closer, you think that only heightens the, the idea in your head, I am really in a unique place. I'm far from everything. I'm in their country, as you say. There's something, and, and most people don't want to do it. They're not impressed by it. It's not like it's a bragging thing. It's just a preference. The people listening who have been to these kinds of places are nodding their head. Yes, I get it. I know what it looks like. I know the feeling, the feeling of independence, the feel, a little bit of daring. And by God, when you hear your story, you, I'm reminded, and I'm going to Bear Country in mid-July. I'm going back. But I'm reminded that it can get serious. It can. It's, it's unlikely, but it can get very serious very fast. Do we have anyone else who can do the podcast if you don't come back? <laughs> right. <laughs> do we have a backup gene? Uh, anyone wants to sign up? We got and, uh, trust me, we it's not hard. <laughs> as long as you got a business plan. Uh, what would I tell someone that's thinking about a trip like this? I did my research. I ordered books from Amazon. I watched videos of Gateway to the Arctic. I saw how beautiful it was, the area I was going to. But I think I would say, um, you go and you're prepared. You know what you're doing. And I think that's the important thing. You've got to be with someone, ask a lot of questions. There's no dumb question. Uh, people get annoyed with you, ask a lot of questions, know your guide, know, uh, look at their bio information, see how long they've been doing this kind of work. And, uh, I and would, bring protection. And bring and a lot of protection. don't let it leave your side. That just what seems so basic. I know nothing about this, but I, I would never go into... But you've got a guide saying, you know, like you've got the person that's the authority figure saying, you don't need it, we've got it, you've got it. I would, you know, I would I, I would be torn. It would be... Well, ah. look, I was uncomfortable. Lie. <laughs> if it's a guy, no, yeah, no, you, you know, it's your no. life in your You know, head. Jerry, you it can protection. be that somebody, again, I, I yeah. repeat, I, I don't do this. I'm not a guy, never been a guy, can't judge that. I cannot judge that. But I'm telling you what I do, and I've already said it, I'm going to have protection in my tent. I'm not going to care if someone says, you're being kind of chicken. You know, you don't really, <laughs> it's my tent, my life, it's... So that's number one. Number two, it could be, and here I am trying to get into the head of how professionals do these trips, maybe they think everybody's got pepper spray, somebody's going to spray it and on somebody and it's going to be a mess or something. I'm saying in my trips, and my buddy Larry sitting out there would agree, we all have protection. I don't need, I don't need anybody's permission for that. And, and that might be a life lesson about specifically. But in this backpack. life, in this life in general, it's been my experience. You, there's this inner voice, you call it, whatever you want mm -hmm. to have a name for it. Yep. And if something doesn't feel right to you and you're anxious about it, if you can read your body language, your body language will say, hey, this is wrong. 
to get involved with this. Uh, I don't care if it's getting in a car with someone that's been drinking too much or whatever it might be. It's not just Alaska. You know, it's not just Alaska. Just in general, you know, just after, by Wednesday, I was very uncomfortable about how the camp was being run. And, and you weren't allowed to say, I'm going home, because... Well, I thought, maybe I'll use the satellite phone, and I'll ask Dirk to come and get me. But I'm not the kind of person that would run out on the other ladies, or I committed to this, so I was going to see it through. In hindsight, now, I wish would I would have... I said, well, Dirk, I can't yeah. afford to call Dirk and have Dirk come and get me, and take me out of here. So I decided to stay. But I had, from the time in Kentucky when I realized what our security was going to be, at home, I got uncomfortable before I ever left. But when I was in Fairbanks and we were getting ready to leave, I still wasn't feeling comfortable. But this flight you talk about going in, when we flew in and I saw this place, I thought, this is the most, one of the most unique, beautiful environments I've ever been in. And then I said, Joanne, you made the right decision. And I was happy with my decision. That was yeah. the first time I had been happy with my, my yeah. decision. Thank God you're here. Yeah. And whatever you're dealing with, it appears to be you deal with it very well. Mm-hmm. And thank you for sharing this. Yes, thank you. One well, thing I can And we're going to make a, a transition, and I join Jerry in thanking you. Uh, it's not only a harrowing tale, but you're a lovely person, and you've, you've maintained a sense of humor through all of this, and mm-hmm. it's, it, we're, just, we're happy to, to have met you, and, um, and maybe we'll all get to know each other better as time passes. We want to transition over now to uh, a very important person in the greater Cincinnati area, I consider her sort of the matron of Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky, bluegrass, and that's uh, Katie Lauer, and uh, joined by Eddie Cunningham and Jim Tarbell, and uh, we're going to hear some uh, music, and we're going to let these guys uh, get set up. So again, thank you to Joanne Staples. All right, we have Katie Lauer, and by the way, Jerry, you and Katie Lauer have known each other for many years back, and I I apologize, first of all, Mayor. Mayor Springer. (laughs) Mayor Springer. Uh, Mayor, you know Katie Lauer from back in the day. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, in fact, when I was sworn in, she provided the musical entertainment. No kidding. That is true. We that's just remembered really cool. that. Yeah. Wow, that's great. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So we have Katie Lauer. We have Eddie. That Cunt. was the highlight of the mayoralty. Everything else the after, after that, that was that. <laughs> the whole term. Really. Yeah, the whole term was a disaster. <laughs> By the way, Katie Lauer has a show regularly in the Greater Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky area, on WNKU. It's a Yay! great show. A lot of people know about it and we urge you to tune in and first of all let's say hello to katie lauer katie how are you hi tell tell us when that show is uh on sundays from 8 to 11 there you go and joined by eddie cunningham who is well known in bluegrass circles in the greater cincinnati northern kentucky area and former city council member and a whole bunch of other wonderful things jim tarbell an old friend of jerry's and mine from forever uh, who is a uh, connoisseur of uh, harmonica. And so uh, these three are going to do uh, a tune. And guys, uh, take it when you're ready. This is a song that Eddie and I wrote together. 
when we were meeting on Monday nights and writing songs. What do you get out of lying to me? Would you take it back if you could? Were you to blame? Were you playing a game? Love died when you lied to me. Lying to me was so unkind. All of these days you've been on my mind. Chasing the ghost of an old memory. Love died when you lied to me. Take it, Eddie. Lying to me was so unkind. All of these days you've been on my mind. Chasing the ghost of an old memory Love died when you lied to me Love died when you lied to me We've only performed that song once in the past 10 years. So it's, well, can uh, you come back in 10 years? We want to We might have a college That was up. wonderful. And Katie, uh, oh, people who know Katie Lauer's music knows that, know that she, she does bluegrass, and, but that's, that's not all by a long shot. A lot of, uh, that's almost had a jazzy, kind of feel yeah. to it and uh swing yeah swing. Like swing and your accent right out of brooklyn that is great <laughs> <laughs> i worked on it <laughs> katie where are you from originally i was born in paris tennessee the home of the eiffel silo <laughs> <laughs> that's great <laughs> it is, yeah, it is, yeah. To give Katie another plug, she writes regularly for Cincinnati Magazine, does a, a column every other month, and uh, writes wonderful stuff. She has a, a, a fantastic voice, if you will, a literary voice, and uh, a great storyteller. Can you guys uh, take us out on the old Hootie Ledbetter song, Lead Belly, Irene Goodnight? to Tales, Tunes, and Tomfoolery, recorded live at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song, and to you for listening. Check out our website at jerryspringer.com.
hold on. Wait, before wait, we go, before Jim, we go. look yeah. behind you and see if there's a photo leaning up against the wall. Would you hand that to oh. me? Oh. This is for Katie Lauer. Watch out. Now look oh. at this. You want to introduce this? I never did post So this photograph. <laughs> I'm going to hold it up to the audience before you get to see it. That's mine. Is that <laughs> <laughs> it is It's of Katie Lauer and John Hartford, who's up here somewhere. Wow, there you go. And this was in 1970-something from up in where, Hamilton, Ohio? I think it was about 1974 or 75, and it was on the Delta Queen steamboat. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> How did this come to us? Catfish, the owner of the Folk School Coffee Parlor. I would love to know because... Well, it's yours. Well, thank you. Thank well, you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. All right. And as uh, the mayor, Jerry Springer, says, y'all come back now here. Yeah. Thank you.